0: Welcome to Terrible, a Canadian true crime podcast. I'm Marie. And I'm Renee. We're two friends that discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare ourselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. Just before we get started, we want to mention
1: that we have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff. So if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you could find us on Etsy at Terrible True Crime. Last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave a review or comment wherever you listen.
0: We just want to give a shout out to Vanessa. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining our Patreon. We really appreciate it. Um, It's lovely to chat to you. So thank you so much. And also, if you enjoyed our Q&A, part one, part two is available on our Patreon. And from now on, we'll also have a monthly bonus episode on Patreon. So check it out. All right, let's get into
1: some updates. So we've had some time off from recording. It's been weeks. It feels weird to be back. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I went home, had two weeks of vacation. We did lots of cottaging, spending time with friends and family. There were no issues with no flights or anything like that. So (laughs) everything was just, was just perfect. And I'm feeling very like rejuvenated (laughs) and ready.
0: Summer vacation feels good oh so
1: nice so i feel like i was like kind of running out of gas there for a bit and now i'm just like all right i'm okay with my life everything's good back to normal definitely was a really nice reset and i'm really ready to get back into weekly recordings so i'm excited for this week's episode
0: i also had my summer vacation where i was supposed to join renee at the cottage (laughs) um but i got the stomach flu so i don't think i've had the stomach flu since i was like four years old but um i was basically living in the bathroom for the day and then just dead on the couch for a few days afterwards. So that was my summer vacation. It was great, but I did see Renee following that. So it was really nice to see Renee. My other update is that I just watched the new documentary on Netflix called I Just Killed My Dad. Is it good?
1: I've only heard good stuff, but I haven't watched it.
0: I thought it was really good, but it's really sad. Like, oh, yeah. It's you, you feel for the kid that's involved and it's just like, it's just a very horrible situation of abuse that like the kid was in and the only way he could get out was to oh. kill his dad. Yeah. So it's very, it's a very sad one, but I think it, it like brings light to kind of what the system can do better in some instances.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, I know it was really good.
1: Like a side one, but an important
0: one. Mm -hmm. All right, so now into some current true crime. The case I found that's kind of going on right now is, I found it through an update of what recently happened, and then I kind of like digged into it and found out that it happened a little bit earlier this year. But basically, on August 10th, Courtney Clement, which she's an OnlyFans model, She was arrested while she was in rehab in Hawaii. Um, She was seeking help for substance abuse and PTSD. Courtney was accused of killing her boyfriend earlier this year and is now being charged with second degree murder with a deadly weapon. Yeah, so now that this is kind of like out in the open, there's prior domestic violence incidents that are resurfacing now, like videos or or complaints or anything like that. She's also thrown items at him in the past like plates and glasses and then on April 3rd of this year she stabbed her boyfriend to death at their Miami apartment. Oh gosh. Yeah they were allegedly not together at that time of the murder and Courtney's attorney claimed she killed him in self-defense after he stalked her for weeks.
1: Oh this is messy.
0: Yeah it's very messy it's really all over the place and Just over time, there's so much more information that's coming out from everyone. So when police arrived, they found Courtney drenched in blood and Toby fighting for his life before passing away moments later at a nearby hospital. Courtney told the police that after the argument that night, Toby grabbed her by the throat and shoved her against a wall. Then she said that he threw her to the ground, but allowed her to get up. At that point, Courtney went to the kitchen, got a knife. And then Toby approached her. She says that she threw the knife at him from a distance that she thought was about 10 feet. And that's how the knife stabbed. No yeah, way. exactly. Right. Like she's saying she straight up just threw the knife at him to be like, get away from me. She just launched the knife and that stabbed him and killed him.
1: I mean, I totally um, get defending yourself, especially yeah. in like this type of, mm-hmm. this is clearly not a healthy relationship. Yeah. But like she must have been practicing her knife throwing or something because there's no
0: way well that's a thing right so then they got a medical examiner um to examine toby's body and the stab wound they said occurred from a forceful downward thrust so the medical examiner basically disagreed that a throw from that distance could have caused like a fatal stab wound yeah and also the officers uh, the police officers observed no visible injuries on her which obviously didn't help confirm her side of the incident
1: this is tough yeah. Oh, I hate these like domestic abuse.
0: I know. It's so bad because, when it comes back out yeah. and then
1: they're like, well, no, I was defending myself. It's like, well, you might have been in some, city. like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's so murky and like yeah. the court of law. Also, you're bringing us an American case. Yes. It <laughs> is. <laughs> Surprise American
0: case. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely like a toxic relationship. Like, both of them should not have been together. Even the building management where Courtney and Toby lived documented multiple instances of loud arguments and they were actually ready to evict the couple just before. the Wow. Yeah. She even kicked her boyfriend out of their apartment the last week of March, which is like a week before his death, but they, I guess, reconciled two days before his death. So there's lots of things coming out. The most recent thing that's come out is a video of her aggressively attacking her boyfriend in the elevator. Like you could find that anywhere online right now. It's It's really awful. And it's just like so sad to see. And that was just like a few months prior to the stabbing. Mm. So there's so much information that's coming out on this case. It's obviously widely covered because she is, I don't want to say influencer because she's on OnlyFans and is doing something like this, but she's well known. Yeah. In Um, in the public eye. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I wonder if she has more or less subscribers now. Yeah. Good question. (laughs) It could be more. Yeah. You never it know. could be People less. <laughs> People really? are the worst. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it was more. Oh, oh God. Yikes. Hopefully more information comes out and more mm-hmm. clear information comes out. But yeah, well, maybe we'll follow this one. We'll see what happens. For my crime updates, I have one quick one. That's a missing person. So I posted on Instagram today, but the family of the missing Edmonton man is asking for everyone's help because they're hitting the one week mark. So Hong sang Ro, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, but I'm probably not. He is 64 years old and he's been missing since he left his home in Twin Brooks area. His disappearance was reported to the police last week in Edmonton. His family has been searching River Valley Ravine trails, especially in the Black Muck Creek where he would frequently go on walks. He just recently retired from his work as an ETS bus driver. The family is really concerned and, you know, especially heightened because he had been showing signs of potential early onset dementia and was struggling with his mental health. So I think this is someone who we can hopefully somewhat easily find with crowdsourcing and everyone keeping an eye out. So he's Mm -hmm. five foot six. He weighs about 143 pounds. He has long gray hair that goes to the base of his neck, and when he left his home, he may have been wearing a burgundy long sleeve shirt, gray sweatpants, and black slip-on shoes, and glasses. So everyone keep an eye out. I posted this picture. I'll kind of try to keep following the case and, um, yeah, give you guys updates if, if we... Learn anything new, but
0: hopefully. In the picture that he po- like, yeah, that's so posted, sweet. he looks so happy with his dog. Like, mm-hmm. he looks so cute. Aww. Yeah.
1: So I really hope that he, it's just some sort of confusion and he makes it home pretty mm-hmm. soon. Okay. This next update. This is related somewhat, I guess, to our last episode, our last full episode. An Eastern Ontario doctor was charged in the death of an elderly patient in Hawkesbury, Ontario last year, and he's now facing three more counts of first-degree murder and three other deaths of other elderly people.
0: It's literally last week's case. Yep. How awful is that? That it just someone else is just does the same thing
1: yes so this a man's name is brian nadler and he was a, again he was originally charged with the one count of first degree murder in the death of 89 year old albert poidinger of point claire quebec albert was a patient at the Hawkesbury and district general hospital which is located between ottawa and montreal the three most recent alleged victims are 80 year old claire Briare of rigo quebec 79 year old lorraine lalonde of Hawkesbury, and 93 year old june Judith Lungulescu of East Hawkesbury Township. So we don't have a lot of information, but the article that I read said that autopsies were basically done, and medications used to treat COVID nineteen in patients at the hospital are part of the murder investigation. That's sort of all we know.
0: According- what? That's I know. So
1: sketch. I know what like a sketchy time like so many people are coming in and out of hospital so many people were sick people were dying you know all over the world we know this and the fact that someone might have been taking advantage of that like i don't know i'm curious i'm gonna follow this because these medical professionals that murder i find so disturbing and interesting at the same time like it's yeah. very strange the people that you trust for like your mm-hmm. care when you need anything like no it does not feel comforting <laughs> whatsoever yeah seriously According to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Saskatchewan, he faced two professional misconduct charges during his time at St. Paul's Hospital in Saskatoon, one for calling a female colleague a bitch.
0: <laughs> what an ass.
1: I know. And yeah, so I was like, not only are you a murderer, you also just suck in general. But yeah. after a disagreement, he did that. And he told someone else that he felt like slapping that colleague. And then he also had issues with improper patient record keeping. Not a great doctor, obviously.
0: <laughs> not a great look, Mr. Yeah, Brian Nadler. You are no longer
1: a doctor. No, definitely not. No longer a doctor. And now we're just going to wait and see what happens. It's a lot this week. It's a lot.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK,
0: Renee, let's go. <laughs>
1: you ready? A murder! <laughs> okay. Alright, this week we're going to be discussing the disappearance of Emma Filipoff. Emma was born in Perth, Ontario in January of 1986 to parents Shelly and James Filipoff. She is one of four kids. When Emma was 16, it's reported that she actually moved out of the house. Apparently she was not a fan of rules and had a hard time following them.
0: That's so young. <laughs> yes, it's
1: so young. <laughs> There is many podcasts that cover this case, even American ones as well. So usually like I'll pick a case and then I'll go search to see what podcasts have covered it and then like if any, Fifth Estate or anything like that has covered it. In this case, many have covered it. There was a Fifth Estate episode, there were several podcasts, but one of the podcasts that I actually listened to that I must have heard this case on before but just not like connected. it is True Crime Garage. And they mentioned that she might've moved in with a boyfriend during that time, but not sure if it ended up working out. You know, she's pretty mm-hmm. young and he was probably older, I'm assuming, and and I think she eventually moved back home. She's described as dreamy, creative, private, and cryptic. She didn't really talk about herself a lot. She seemed to me like she was very artsy and she's often described as a free spirit. Emma's parents separated when she was in her early twenties. I think she was around 22. It's reported that Emma didn't take this well. Obviously, your parents' separating can be hard on anyone and can affect everyone differently. I think mm-hmm. no matter how old you are, like you, that still changes yeah. the course of how you're going to live your life. She eventually went on to study culinary arts and photojournalism. She even went to China to teach for a while.
0: Mm, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, very cool. So it seems like she was just going with the flow, kind of seeing where life was taking her. In the fall of 2011, Emma decided to go live in Victoria, B.C. She was 25 at the time. She took a huge risk doing this because she had no job lined up, no house lined up, but it's reported that she was really looking forward to it. So there's not a lot of people that can just kind of uproot. No, the stress. I'm like sweating. That's amazing,
0: though. Like, I wish I could do that and just live in the moment and be like, I'll figure it out. I'm not stressed about it. I'm just living my life, you know, but holy there's that's no way. stressful
1: right there yeah there's no way i my brain doesn't function that way oh. but yes yeah, same i'm like envious of people who are just yes like, i think it's. i'm gonna go live by the ocean yeah, for a year i think it it's a, nice. it
0: could be an amazing quality just as it could bite you in the ass but Absolutely. still, it's still nice to maybe have that experience if it goes well
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're foreseeing a little oh, bit, no. so i are going to
0: get into it.
1: When Emma got to Victoria, she lived with some friends. In the winter of 2011, she started working as a barista at a cafe. While in Victoria, she would hold several odd jobs. She cleaned hotel rooms for a while, even living in that hotel. But she eventually decided to work at a restaurant. She got a job at an inner harbor seafood eatery called Redfish Bluefish, Sounds amazing. I want to eat at an Inner Harbor. Um,
0: that's such a strange name, though. <laughs> redfish, redfish, redfish. Redfish, yeah.
1: And just like she bounced around with work, she also bounced around in her living situation. As I said, she started with friends, then was in the hotel, and she eventually began staying in boats, even sleeping in the woods sometimes. It's like said that she was sleeping in a tree. What? it's very weird yeah I think she was sort of living a more like transient lifestyle I think boats are referred to like houseboats maybe, yeah. maybe like, boats of her friends and stuff but the wood stuff like I I didn't see a lot about a tent so I don't know I assume she
0: liked that though right like to a certain yes. degree like, I, she's I it so does s- yes. like she seems like in tune with like earth and like <laughs> yeah nature yeah yeah maybe it's like like so
1: foreign to me I'm like what are you
0: doing because I yeah no I agree like she chose to be homeless it seems like but who knows
1: at this point it's seeming like everything that's happening is her choice she's choosing to be more like like I said more transient more like chill I'll see what's going on tonight not too stressed about it because she had money in the bank so if she really wanted to you know plant down some roots and sign a one-year lease it appears to me that she could have. As far as romantic relationships while she was in Victoria, it's reported that she was sort of seeing one guy, but it was nothing serious and maybe it was just even a friendship, not really sure, but this doesn't really become important, but I just thought I'd mention it when we talk about her theories. Around February of 2012, she was living at the Sandy Merriman Women's Shelter. There's a great website called Help Find Emma Philippoff, and I got a lot of good information from there, so I pulled a lot of stuff directly from the website I just think it's so important to the case. I didn't really want to change the wording or anything, because this is, my impression is that this is written and put together by her friends and her family and people that really care about her. So these is, these are things that we are going to want to know or going to want to talk about when we talk about this case. The following is a quote from that website. Around the summer of 2012, her friends describe Emma as being in
0: search of a more pure lifestyle. She quit binge drinking in June and also cut out cigarettes, coffee, and sugar. Some say she had occasionally smoked marijuana. Others report never seeing her take any kind of drug. She is vegan and was said to have been experimenting with different combinations of food, grains of rice, popcorn, pieces of fish. By late summer, she was eating less and less and drinking copious amounts of water daily. A friend who also worked on the waterfront said she grew very thin and described her as becoming monk-like in her social and eating habits. She appeared to have trouble adapting to the changing seasons and by the beginning of fall, she seemed very unsure about where to go and what to do with herself in the upcoming winter months.
1: Also during that summer, Emma bought herself a van. It's reported that she might have wanted to use this van to travel, but unfortunately the van would have a lot of issues and would end up being towed several times. By the end of October in 2012, she left her job at Redfish Bluefish. This job was, I think, more of a seasonal job. or Maybe the restaurant was only open seasonally, so it was kind of coming to an end. But she had planned on returning when the restaurant opened again.
0: The following quote is also from the Help Find Emma Philippoff website. Emma could often be found reading in the children's section of the library or quietly meditating in the sun. She enjoyed spending time with members of the homeless community, with boat owners and artists down at the Inner Harbor, and with street performers around town. The many friends and acquaintances she made in different circles described her in such terms as free-spirited, creative, adventurous, giving, soft-spoken, private, independent, trusting, flighty, highly sensitive to people, and very brave to sleep alone in the woods. She is very kind and likes caring for people, especially the elderly, children, and pets. She is a skilled chef, photographer, and artist. She loves to write and maintains several journals and a blog. She prefers nature to city life, favors walking barefoot, loves travel and adventure, adores her family and friends, and is known to have an aversion to convention, intrusive questions, social media, cell phones, spending money, and playing any role in the establishment. Okay. I think that makes more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, On Why she was doing what she was doing. It was, it kind of confirms that it was her choice where she lived, what she did.
1: Interesting. Yes, it's just again like so strange to me at least because it's not what I would choose to do but (laughs) again like what it sounds very cool like I would love to follow her around for a day and see how she lived. Mm -hmm. During her time in Victoria, Emma was speaking periodically with loved ones back in Ontario. She would usually do this by email and phone calls every once in a while. However, no one had known that that she was living at the women's shelter. And I'm assuming that that extends to no one knowing that she was sometimes staying outside or in boats or. Now we're going to cover the timeline of before Emma disappears and kind of throughout the disappearance and after it's all from the help find Emma Philippoff website. It's just such an excellent and detailed timeline. I figured I wouldn't go in and change anything. We'll just read it and we'll talk about it and we'll go from there. So on Tuesday, November 20th, Emma visits the local YMCA that's located down the street from her shelter that she was staying at. She does this to take out a membership. Surveillance video shows her entering and exiting the building four times within a 14 minute period. She seems to be nervously peering out the glass doors, as though waiting for or hiding from someone or something outside. She pauses for approximately one minute each time as she exits and enters the building, finally exiting for the last time and then turning right. Some believe she is holding something in her hand, such as a cell phone or an iPod, but others suspect that she's simply fidgeting. We have this like neat experience of following Emma right before her disappearance, and there's a lot going on with her, and it's all kind of described as abnormal behavior for her. So all these things are really important to kind of give us an idea of where she was at the day she kind of officially goes Mm -hmm. missing. On Wednesday, November 21st, Emma arranges to have a tow truck driver pick her up from Sandy Merriman Shelter and drive to Sook, BC to tow her red Mazda MPV back to the 700 block of Burdett Ave in Victoria. She is described as upbeat during the ride and talks about her plan to surprise her family by moving back to Perth, Ontario. The driver recalls her looking up at the snow on the mountains and telling him she couldn't wait to get home where she could see the sun and snow. Okay, so now we're in November, so her job at the Red Bluefish Blue restaurant has just ended in October. It's been maybe about a month that I think she hasn't been working, a little bit less than a month, or she might have been doing some odd jobs or whatever, but since she's left the restaurant, so it seems like her plans at this point is to take her van when she bought for traveling and potentially drive it all the way back home to Perth. That would be a long drive, but it's obviously doable. Mm-hmm. Or maybe because her van was not working so well obviously (laughs) she planned on selling it and flying home but this is kind of showing us that she you know she's she's gone to victoria she's enjoyed it but she's ready to kind of head back home yeah on november 23rd emma calls her mom shelly in tears around midnight and says she wants to come home for emma to reach out for help is very unusual so shelly assures her all arrangements will be made for her to fly home immediately emma says Are you booking the flight? She won't say what's bothering her, but tells her mom that she is safe. On the next day, November 24th, Emma calls back hours later, advising Shelly not to come. She tells her that she will stay and figure things out by herself. is obviously worried and can see that something is terribly wrong with her daughter, but she's reluctant to do anything more and respects Emma's wishes, so she cancels the flights. Later that same night, Emma calls again, And remember, Emma doesn't have her own phone, so she Mm -hmm. is usually, I think, using the phone at the women's shelter, but this is very unusual for her to be in contact this often. So she calls her mom again, and she tells her, I do want to come home, but she's overwhelmed and needs Shelly to travel to Victoria to help her pack up all of her belongings. And her mom, like, just like an amazing mom, immediately books a flight and is like, I'm coming.
0: Mm -hmm. Lots of back and forth on, like, what she wants.
1: Yes, it's a very strange behavior for mm-hmm. her and just like in general I think for most people. The next day on November 25th, Emma phones her mom again in the morning and tells her that she has changed her mind yet again. Oh no. This time she sounds calm and more confident during the call, but there is still sort of a sadness in her voice. Shelley agrees not to come, but doesn't unpack her bag. The same day her van is towed again because of a parking enforcement. Emma has no choice but to arrange for her van to be towed again from Burnett Ave to the parking lot at the Chateau Victoria Hotel. Two days later on November 27th, Shelly grows increasingly concerned and decides to dial the number on the call display. She was seeing on her phone Sandy Merriman and she thought that it might be one of Emma's friends that she was staying with, but when she dials the number back, She speaks to a staff member and is shocked to learn that Emma has been living in a women's shelter since the winter of 2011. That same day, staff from the Chateau of Victoria put a notice on Emma's van to have it towed. So... I don't know if she's not paying attention to where she's parking her van, or if there's extremely strict parking laws in Victoria, but this is just not
0: working for her. (laughs) Of course she just doesn't give a shit. Yeah,
1: yeah, she's like, whatever. I'll find it. Yes. And it says like she's reluctant to spend money and stuff or whatever, but she's having to spend money to have this van totaling back and forth all the time. Maybe the van's actually not running, so it just, like, stays put wherever the tow truck... Right. I don't know. Who knows? Again, that same day, later at night, Emma calls her mom. She's again in tears and asking for help to come home. Shelly, again, immediately makes arrangements to fly out the next day.
0: I feel like at that point... I feel like, I'm coming. Just go. Just go and find her, and you'll figure it out when you get there, because, like, oh. That's yeah, exhausting. So,
1: especially now that you have like the name of the
0: shelter. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: feel like it's a bit more confidence I don't have to look for you in the entire city. I know where mm-hmm. you're staying. I'm coming. Yeah. On November 28th at 4:30 a.m. Emma phones Shelly and changes her mind one last time. She says, "Don't come, Mom, not today." Shelly tells Emma she won't fly out to Victoria, but against the advice of family, takes the first flight out that afternoon. You go, girl. Go Shelly. So yeah, so I guess her like the friends and family are being like, you know, Emma, like, you know, Mm -hmm. she's just she doesn't like to be controlled. She doesn't like to be like, looked on or like, you know, if she's not asking for help, then don't help her. But her mama instincts are like, hell no, something's wrong. Yeah. So at 7am Emma goes to Sato Victoria. She's very upset about the notice on her vehicle and asks staff (laughs) for another day to move the van, which they grant. Like, she's not staying at this hotel, <laughs> but I get it, yeah. I got a parking ticket a couple months ago and I was pretty upset, so I get it. <laughs> Around 8.30 that morning, Emma captured on a video surveillance at the 7-Eleven store at the corner of Douglas and Humboldt Street. This is where she uses her debit card to purchase a $200 prepaid credit card. Hmm. She's- yeah, interesting. She is wearing a beige winter jacket, camouflage pants, and her hair is tied up in a bun. She is carrying several bags over her shoulder, including her orange purse. She's seen lingering in the store by the doors, nervously peering out the window. Again, weird mm-hmm. behavior. And this is all caught on, like I said, on the video yeah. surveillance footage. Around 10 a.m. that day, while riding the bus, a man named Julian Heward sees Emma on Pandora Street across from Alex Golden Hall. He disembarks the bus a couple stops early to talk to Emma, who is standing on the edge of the sidewalk, one step away from the road. She is wearing a puffy, light-colored coat, her hoodie pulled up over her head, and her hair flowing out in a disarray. She is carrying a plastic bag in each hand, with more bags over her shoulder and across her chest. That just made me feel claustrophobic. (laughs) okay he observes her from the back and profile but cannot see her face so he decides to go register for his health card as planned and returns to find that emma is still there she's standing motionless on the corner he steps onto the street in front of her and peers into her hoodie to ask if she needs help and emma slowly shakes her head saying no he observes her for a short while until he decides Then in there, he's done with Emma because she won't accept his offer for help. I'm assuming that he is a friend, colleague. This is someone that she knew. Around noon that day, it's speculated that Emma might have visited the library. In the early afternoon, another friend, but this one's a friend slash colleague, sees Emma near our place soup kitchen on Pandora Street. Her hair is tucked into her jacket. She says she isn't feeling well at all and can't talk. He asks if she needs a hug, but she retreats with an uncharacteristic, horrified look on her face. Again, later that afternoon, two people report seeing Emma on Douglas Street. They were so concerned by Emma's strange behavior of walking back and forth in the street, looking confused and lost. They immediately called the police. The police took the report. However, it's unclear if they followed up this was the first 911 call made that day related to emma the witnesses recall her wearing shoes although they later heard from others who saw emma that day that she was wandering the streets barefoot later that day another witness reports seeing emma walking downtown with an older man there's no description of the older man provided a little bit later a man who visited the rock bay shelter claims he saw emma there at some point that afternoon No details are provided, and this is a shelter Emma refused to stay in as it was co-ed. Around 4 to 6 p.m., Emma is sighted by the same person at two different locations. She first crosses their path as they exit the main Douglas Street doors of the Bay Center. She is shuffling and moving slowly northward on the west side of Douglas Street, her long mane of hair flowing on the outside of her hood. About 45 minutes later, they are in a car. Stopped at the corner of Douglas and Finlayson Street When, to their surprise, they see Emma crossing the street in front of them She glances their way and gives them a smile Oh, this is so eerie right now, I don't know Because I feel like we know that she's going missing So this is just strange yeah. They really want to help, but fear she might question their intentions Around 5.54pm, Emma uses her debit card to purchase a prepaid cell phone At the same 7-Eleven where she purchased the prepaid credit card earlier that day Video surveillance shows her paying for the phone, and then again she lingers by the store doors before leaving, nervously peering outside. This is as if she was afraid to leave or is avoiding someone. The cell phone purchase had never been activated. (sighs) Around 6pm, Emma (laughs) goes to the Sandy Merriman shelter and witnesses at the shelter report that Emma is becoming very anxious and upset when told by staff members that her mother is on her way. She storms out the front door. One resident tries to run after her, but quickly loses sight of her. She reports to Emma having mixed feelings of relief and fear about her mother's arrival. Though Shelly spoke with staff on the phone the day before, she did not tell them that she was heading to Victoria. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. This is, <sighs> I mean, she must have told, I, they must have just assumed by the conversation, or they might have just said, we spoke to your mom. And then Emma just figured, oh, she's for sure going to be coming now, now that she knows I've been staying in a shelter. Yeah. No, Who knows? But this... And, you know, women's shelters have a lot of rules for very good reasons, you know, most of them safety reasons. So I'm sure that the women's shelter was reluctant to give Emma's mom too much information. Mm. But she had been calling from there, so it was pretty obvious that that's where she had been staying. Right. Just about 10 minutes later, a driver with the ABC taxi picks up Emma near the shelter. She asks him to take her to the airport, but suddenly she changes her mind. Even though she had $2,000 to $3,000 in her account, she tells him she can't afford the $60 fare to the airport and asks to be dropped off exactly where she was picked up. When they arrive, she asks if she can sit in his cab for a while. The driver observes her behaving strangely. She becomes anxious and paranoid when she hears the dispatch radio. She stares at it and asks him. Why is there noise coming out of that? She pays the fare with her debit card and quickly exits the cab. I just want to know what's going on, but I don't. It's now 6.15 p.m. and an acquaintance of Emma's named Dennis Quay sees her standing now barefoot in November at night on the corner looking disoriented, paranoid, and seemingly unable to cross the street. He asks if she's looking for someone or if someone is following her. She doesn't say much and keeps looking all around. She asks him to walk with her for a bit, but becomes increasingly uncomfortable with his questions and concerns, and decides to walk on her own. At approximately 7pm, he, so Dennis, enters a nearby restaurant, I guess he also doesn't have a cell phone, and he calls police. He waits there until they arrive. He observes them talking with Emma, he's obviously concerned about her, he sees a police talking with her for a while and then leaves assuming that she's safe in their care it's 7 17 and the police locate emma she's barefoot and clutching her shoes by the empress hotel on government street
0: she really and, moves around a lot
1: yeah she's quick she's shifty. holy
0: <laughs> two officers
1: assess her for 45 minutes so they're talking with her you know generally if she's not if she's not a harm to herself or to others, there's not much they're going to do, but they chat with her for 45 minutes, which is pretty good. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're obviously asking her questions and making sure that she's safe. According to police notes, at no time did Emma engage in a dialogue, but rather answered with one word and nodded with her head. It was almost 30 minutes before she even spoke and then only gave her name at their insistence. She refused to put her shoes back on, said she was taking a walk, and planned to meet a friend. By 8pm, police decided she is not a threat to herself or anyone else and watch her walk away. This is the last confirmed
0: sighting of Emma. That's I find sick. it so weird that like, she was spotted by so many different people in such like a short time frame and then yeah. all of a sudden, bam, nothing.
1: Have you been to Victoria? Yeah, a long time ago though Okay, I feel like it makes sense in my head because of the city Like I, I I, think it was maybe like three or four years ago when I was there But it's, the downtown core is not huge And there is like a large um, homeless population And they very much do Move around from what I remember, move around but, but also gather together Like it's a whole community there So it is weird But I'm also feeling like it's not that weird I don't know
0: Mm-hmm
1: But we definitely have a lot more information than most of the missing people we talk about. That same day, around 11pm, Shelly arrives. So her flight comes in, and she arrives at the shelter and learns that Emma did not claim her bed that night. So often in shelters, there is a cutoff time. So if you're not making it back to the shelter by, I don't know, 10pm, you're not coming in. Like I said, there needs to be rules. They're often keeping these women safe, and if rules are not followed, they can be very dangerous. The shelter calls the police immediately to report Emma missing. Police arrive at the shelter shortly after midnight to take the report. Emma is officially declared a missing person.
0: That poor mom, like, traveling all that way and then just feeling like you're just too late. Yeah. Oh, Just missed heartbreaking. her. It's awful. On
1: November 29th, the next day, Chateau Victoria arranges for always towing to tow Emma's van away. Police find it hours later, and it's containing almost all of her possessions, including her passport, laptop, journals, camera, and recently borrowed library books. They then have the van towed to the police lot. Again that day, Shelley visits the shelter during each shift change, and his informed staff noticed Emma had becoming depressed, possibly suicidal, and had been growing more erratic, paranoid, and fearful in the two weeks leading up to her disappearance. They describe an incident where Emma moved shelter furniture outside, insisting the objects were talking to her, as well as the fact that she was throwing away and donating most of her personal belongings so sad it's very sad yeah i feel like we can definitely see that she's kind of entering some sort of manic episode like she's not well here yeah shelley learns about the call made to the police weeks prior the shelter was told to call back if emma's condition persisted or worsened staff informed shelley they never made the second call to the police again on november 29th a witness reports seeing emma at lifestyle market on douglas street in victoria but the sighting is unconfirmed now we're in december december 2nd When a witness reports an odd encounter such unconfirmed sighting again by the Inner Harbour after dark. Emma apparently tells them to remember her name, Emma Philliphoff, and asks them to repeat the name three times. December 5th, around 11.17am The $200 prepaid credit card Emma purchased on the 28th of November is flagged for use at a Petro-Canada station on Sook Road. The man who used the card is cleared after being questioned and polygraphed by the police. In the news reports, the police say he found the card on the side of the road near Juan de Fuca Recreation Center. He later calls Shelly on three occasions to explain that he was drinking on a daily basis at the time and was too drunk that night to remember where he found it. He knows it was still sealed and is certain he waited about a week to use it to buy a carton of cigarettes, kind of nice he waited
0: <laughs> it's just like also it's like damn 200 you just find it on the street like no one yeah. around like what are you gonna do just leave it there for someone else to take it like if no one's around that's not you know?
1: just like a prepaid credit card it's not like a wallet with money in it yeah like, yeah where you have the ids yeah, yeah no there's exactly. nothing you can right like if if she hadn't been missing then they wouldn't have flagged that card and he would have used it and bought his cigarettes yeah.
0: But it's shitty for him after the fact being notified Yeah,
1: because that- he was like, number one yeah. suspect, they're like, yeah. who? Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh shit. He still claims that he can only guess based on the usual routes he traveled during the time where he might have found the credit card. Now we're skipping all the way to May 2014. So again, she officially disappeared on November 28th, and the last time they had kind of the prime suspect, the man who used her card was on December 5th of 2012. It's now May 2014. We're in Gastown, BC, and an agitated man was captured on surveillance footage at a clothing store in downtown Vancouver with a crumpled up missing persons poster of Emma. He claimed that Emma was his girlfriend and just wanted to be left alone. Despite the evidence of the grainy footage, which shows the man in the green shirt with a noticeable limp and sporting flame tattoos, on his arm, no one has yet to come forward with information to the police and no one has identified him. Very random. Could have also been someone who saw her poster, was not unwell, and you know, you never know. Yeah. So that's the timeline on the Help Find Emma Phillip Huff website. But after she disappeared, the word did spread and there was a search team put together. There were friends, or were family, many volunteers who come through the area. They searched Victoria and the communities of Vancouver Island. They searched trails, they searched parks, they searched smaller islands, and they eventually went all the way to mainland BC and locations across Canada and the US. Some of these were based on these unconfirmed sightings. A dive team actually searched the Victoria Inner Harbor, but nothing was found. I also feel I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like she has one of those faces that just like I could I could see that everywhere. I don't know yeah. what it is about her face, but I you know when people just say you have one of those faces, you just you know look she like, like, like a lot she of other like people.
0: Like, she looks like an elementary school teacher. Yes, <laughs> she yes. just looks like kind, just yeah, lovely, like I just
1: feel like she has that face because that could be easily recognized in other people. Mm-hmm. Anywhere, so I'm not surprised that there were all these sightings of her, especially
0: like... if you're trying to look for her.
1: Yes, you know, absolutely. A private investigator was even hired and worked on the case for a year but found nothing. Several psychics and mediums apparently provided input on the case, which I could not find, was very upset that I could not find. Darn. Um, but I don't know what they said about it, but obviously, they, they haven't helped.
0: Yeah, seriously.
1: In 2014, the CBC's Fifth Estate launched a Finding Emma media campaign on Twitter, Facebook, and national television. An active homicide police officer, a forensic psychologist, and a criminologist were members of a team of experts who reviewed the evidence on Emma's case. Despite this, nothing new really came from that. There is lots of rumors and speculations in this case. A rumor did circulate among friends that she was hitchhiking up and down the island and was doing well. Two people claimed that she was panhandling on a commercial drive in Vancouver. Several witnesses have reported her missing persons poster had been torn down. Others even said that they saw Emma ripping off her own posters off the wall. Staff at a particular hunting and fishing store reported a woman resembling Emma asked how to disappear, explaining that she had a stalker who followed her from Ontario to Victoria, then Vancouver. This one I'm like That's okay. Weird. But yeah. like but you're hitting Ontario yeah. Victoria and 100%. Vancouver. I'm like I'm yeah. like this one is like semi like mm, I yeah, okay. I just so maybe feel like she made to Vancouver.
0: I just feel like I wouldn't go to a hunting and fishing store for that answer.
1: But what if she's sleeping in the woods and like the closest thing to the woods is obviously always like at the nearest like cottage town or cabin town or whatever is a hunting and fishing store. Renee? This one. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. You're right. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. In early 2016, a friend reported seeing Emma sleeping on the steps of the Hakka Fund Centre in Kelowna, B.C. A volunteer team worked diligently with local police to follow up on the sightings. It too remains unconfirmed. A team of volunteers worked so hard with Emma's mother to handle tips, follow-up sightings, conduct interviews, produce visuals, communicate with the public and police, and administer the Help Find Emma Philipop Facebook page, which now has nearly 15,000 followers. Tips and rumors continue to be reported and are investigated by Shelley's volunteer search team and by police. There was an update in the case in 2018, so there's a new witness and new search efforts. Around 5 a.m. on November 29, 2012, a man was on his way to work at a new job and he was already running late. This is when he sees a young woman darting back and forth on the side of the road. This was kind of how she was described doing this similar thing earlier, so it seems like okay, maybe. This is the day after she went officially missing. She seemed to be in distress. So he pulls over and she got into his car. He noticed she was shoeless and soaking wet. Again, sounds like Emma. She seemed as though she had been walking all night long. Her demeanor suddenly shifted to calm and content once she stepped inside his car and asked if he could take her to Coldwood to visit a girlfriend. Since he didn't want to be even more late in his first week of training, he told her he could only bring her a little closer to Coldwood. They had been driving for around five minutes when he stopped to let her off at an intersection of Craigflower and Admirals. This is next to the Legion and a 24-hour gas station. The moment she exited the car, her behavior suddenly shifted back to paranoid and erratic. She darted back and forth in the street before finally taking off to the direction of Colwood. He didn't realize who he had picked up that morning until long after the incident took place until 2018, almost six years later. Wow. But he did contact the Victoria police who told him to contact Crime Stoppers about his interaction with Emma.
0: Also, the fact that he's able to remember that memory, like, it really, uh, I wouldn't say touched him, it really left a mark on him. Yes, like absolutely. Like, in some sort of way to remember that six years later, like, oh, yeah, that's the girl I picked up.
1: But this sounds to me like this, this could be a legitimate sighting mm-hmm. because, okay, say her mom's coming to Victoria she's spooked she's obviously in some sort of manic episode she's like i'm out of here i'm i'm not seeing my mom i'm out of here Mm -hmm. now that it's shelly's fault shelly was trying to be a good mom but i'm yeah i'm leaving so i'm gonna go to Colwood, and i'm gonna go see my girlfriend but i don't know how to get there so i'm gonna hitchhike she's barefoot she's soaking wet her you know i I don't know this seems like it could be her to me yeah it sounds like her for Mm -hmm. sure the only thing which I mean if you're desperate enough you're gonna get into a car but what was mentioned about her being nervous about a co-ed mm-hmm. shelter and like was she really concerned about men would she have gotten into a car with a man or was it just the sleeping arrangements that she didn't like and how she was more vulnerable because of that night or had she heard something bad happened to that shelter like maybe that's not even relevant but that came into my head. She yeah, just got true. into a car and suddenly trusted this man that she didn't know. Yeah. But it's hard to rationalize when we know that she's obviously unwell. Yeah, so true. Emma's mom, Shelly, was interviewed in a CBC article and she said the following.
0: When she disappeared, she literally vanished. She didn't leave a trail of any sort. So there was nothing. I get a lot of tips, but none of them amount to anything. To say that I have a gut feeling as to what happened to her, I don't. I can't rely on my instincts anymore i can't rely on my heart because my heart wants her to be alive so desperately when i do have a feeling oh my god maybe something horrible has happened then i try to bring hope into it and think well there's just as much chance that she's alive somewhere as she's not so i try to live through that hope all right so
1: now we can talk about theories because emma's still missing theory number one so um Shelly had said in another CBC article that mental illness has a history in her family. So it runs through her family. You know, it seems very obvious to me, and I think that other podcasters or people that have covered this case, that she was going through some sort of manic breaker episode. Yeah. That's only a theory if she really did kind of hitch a ride and eventually end up maybe in Vancouver and maybe she's living in the tent cities and and she's just sort of living on the street and that's it right she might have changed her look might not recognize her it's it's very much a possibility but it's sort of hard to believe with the amount of searching and awareness and how her poster was everywhere out there but i mean there's a big homeless population in bc so i think it would be hard to find her in that I feel like I don't say that this is a pretty plausible theory for most of our missing people people cases. I usually say like Mm -hmm. there's no way people don't just go missing but yeah for Emma with the whole history and everything that we've learned I I just do think that it it really couldn't be a possibility.
0: And she's good at I don't want to say hiding but like living in the woods like living a Mm -hmm. life that's unseen that no one necessarily wants to live. Yeah exactly. Yeah Yeah, so I agree this is definitely a a possibility that we don't usually think of for missing persons
1: yeah and then the only other thing that I wanted to discuss is foul play she was obviously in a very vulnerable state she was not doing well and if someone even just picked her up that night um you know even near the shelter or after the police left her they picked her up swing by and and You never know. And there Mm -hmm. you go. She was vulnerable and someone took advantage of that. Sex trafficking is also a thing. It's all bad. It's all bad. Our our best case scenario and what we hope for for Emma's family is that she maybe is just living on the street somewhere Mm -hmm. and that one day. Willingly. Yes, they'll be reconnected. And if if Emma wants, she'll get everything sort of sorted and balanced out and she can be reconnected with her family. Mm -hmm. But just for her family to know that she's somewhat okay would be... Be nice. sure. yeah really
0: nice especially since it's been all these years now when she was in victoria she still kind of kept contact with her mom and stuff so it's it's just hard to think you know there there are so many different possibilities but it's just hopefully it's
1: yeah. on her doing yeah hard to think that she would just like ghost her family like that yeah. but also again obviously she wasn't thinking straight i don't mm-hmm. think it's not from how she's described before the build like before the build up to her going missing. There's a difference. Like she was not her normal self. Yeah. So, Emma Philipov has been missing from Victoria, B.C., Canada since November 28, 2012. She was 26 years old at the time of her disappearance. She was 5'5", 90 to 110 pounds, had brown eyes, light brown hair, had a tan complexion, no tattoos, and no piercings. How are you feeling? <laughs>
0: Well, I could definitely felt from the get go that this was going to be unsolved. So like, I'm not shocked, but, um, I'm just very sad for her, Mm -hmm. especially if it wasn't on her own terms where she is right now. You know what I mean? I feel sad for her mom, her family, especially her mom showing up there feeling like she just missed her and then realizing that like, oh, this is going to be a long search it's not yeah. like she'll get a call saying, Mom, I'm okay. Like, just go home. Yeah. So, also must hard have to been think, a
1: lot. Yeah, hard to think that someone who's so fearless and, like, was doing all these, like, just, like, free-spirited, no-care-in-the-world things yeah. would have something happen to them where they're immediately so vulnerable, whereas before, the way she was described is so strong and independent. Mm-hmm. And, and immediately she's vulnerable and something happens to her. She was doing what she wanted to do being safe yeah. but still doing living her life like she yeah. wanted yeah exactly and the second she's in a vulnerable position something happens to her mm-hmm. just it sucks and that is why this
0: week <laughs> this week we'll be donating to kool-aid kool-aid is the organization most focused on long-term solutions to ending homelessness in greater victoria Their services start with affordable housing and around-the-clock support for tenants in Victoria, Saanich, and Langford. With over 550 apartments for people who were previously homeless, Kool-Aid has more housing options for this population than any other organization. Plus, they are actively developing over 220 more affordable apartments. Kool-Aid also offers their tenants full health and dental care services, employment and volunteer opportunities, and healthy wellness and recreation offerings. If you'd like to contribute to Kool-Aid, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram and TikTok bio. Okay. First of all, I just have to say, this is a really cool organization. Yeah. What yeah, they're what they what right? they're able to do. For, yeah. I think that's really awesome. I really yeah, like that. Great. So pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram. So please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terrible true crime at gmail.com. All of our case sources are going to be linked in our description if you're curious or want to follow up on any of our research. So feel free to take a look. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.